What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so grateful for your support. I'm so grateful for your presence. And in case you weren't aware, Thrive is an acronym that stands for Thoughts, Habits, Relationships, Intention, Vitality, and Embodiment. And this is an acronym that I created to really create a framework to teach you the things that we never learned in school. And my intention with this podcast is to bring on world-renowned guests to break down their success, their breakthroughs, their obstacles that they've overcome to create massive amounts of success, health, and wealth in their life. So I'm so grateful that you're here. And now let's get to today's episode. But before we start with today's episode, I wanted to make an announcement that I'm so excited about. I just launched my Magic of Microdosing free course. This free course has over 10 videos where I really break down the neuroscience of microdosing and talk about how this medicine can potentially lead to massive transformation and healing in your life. So if you've been curious about implementing this medicine, this is a great resource for you to tap into. And again, it's 100% free. So make sure to visit the website magicofmicrodosing.com or just hit the link in the show notes below. Much love y'all. On today's podcast, I sit down with Danielle Bigby, and Danielle is a psychedelic integration and personal revolution coach. She's the host of the podcast Rebellious Reinvention, and she is just an incredible, really dope human, and she's also local here in Miami, and I'm just trying to put on my people. like I want to support all of the people in my community that are doing cool things. And Danielle is definitely one of those people. So in this episode, we talk all things microdosing. We talk about motherhood and how microdosing can be such a powerful tool for the mothers out there dealing with postpartum depression, mom guilt, and all the other challenges that moms face. So I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with the one and only Danielle Bigby. Danielle Bigby. What's up, Jeremy? Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad we get to like sit down and actually have a conversation. Yeah. We've run is... around and cir- we've run around each other, but never like got to really hang. This is cool, yeah, because it's like we're just able to catch up and we're able to record it, which I think is dope. And it's mm-hmm. just like an open, authentic conversation. Totally. So we run in some of the same circles. I know you are highly engaged and active in the psychedelic space and the microdosing space. And I'm curious for you, what kind of facilitated that journey? Well, I've been in, I've done, I've been doing psychedelics for 22 years, which is crazy to think about. You started when you were 16? Started when I was 16. It's good mathing. And, um, Yeah, I started when I was 16, and I think that a lot of my brand is called Rebellious Reinvention, and I think 
And when people see me, people always tell me this thing. They're like, you're so cool. And it's always like a little it's cringe. It's the bucket hat. It's the bucket hat. But it always feels a little cringe when people say like, you're so cool to your face. But I think what they're saying is like, you're so cool and confident. Like you have swagger. Like you, like I love the way you dress. Like they're not saying all that in those words. It's always made me a little uncomfortable here. Like you're cool. But I, what I take away is like, I, I come with confidence, right? And it's been that way for so long that until I had a recent LSD trip, I didn't attribute it to taking psychedelics in my teens. My first experience with psychedelics was on LSD. It was several hits of LSD. And this is in Ohio. I'm from California, but I went to high school in Ohio. And we would go hang out at rock quarries and take LSD on the weekend and drink beers. And I just... When those layers dissolved and I experienced the world as conscious collectiveness, I understood like nobody was above me, nobody was below me. That doesn't mean I don't experience insecurities and fears. Of course I do, because on the other side of immense confidence is also this, you know, other thing that is worldly that's like, oh God, I better know everything. I better have all the right answers. I better come knowing. I better not forget my confidence today, right? Mm-hmm. But I developed this inner knowing of who the fuck I am as a 16-year-old girl, and it's never really went away. And so when I did this recent LSD trip in the mountains of Tennessee like two weeks ago, it was the most profound experience. I ended up experiencing every woman's, the collective consciousness of women, emotional experiences from adolescence to mid-20s to 30s to 40s all the way until aging out and dying. I experienced her every realm of emotion. And there's just that inner knowing, like the women, the collective consciousness of women are really experiencing this constant state of ability to birth and the desire to do so, not just physically, not just birth children, birth passion, birth lovers, birth relationship. Like we're just constant creators. And so there's this longing within, within us. And that comes with grieving and loss and fear of loss. And so experiencing this conscious collective as a 38-year-old woman, I was like, that is what I tapped into as a 16-year-old. That's some deep fucking wisdom. That's some ancestral wisdom. And so I realized and I recognized that's where my confidence came from. Mm. So speeding up to four years or two years ago, three years ago, I had already had my daughter, my first daughter, my only child. And I had really lost my swagger. I experienced postpartum depression. I gained a lot of weight. My lifestyle was no longer yogi and fitness and healthy. It was living between Miami, New York, and LA. Well, Gabe opened restaurants. I was a stay at home, but I was like building an online coaching business, but like in between all our schedules. And I lost my swagger. And I remember we went to the standard one day. It was like three days after I got this bucket hat, actually. This was like a few years ago. We went to the standard and Gabe said to me, my fiance, he's like, you know what it is? He's like, you know, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but he's like, you lost your swagger. Because I didn't really see it that way. I just thought I was like fucking depressed. He's like, you just lost your swagger. You have to reconnect with who you were before you became a mom. I'm like, I'm fucking trying, right? And so that summer I was like, I'm going to trip. I'm going to reconnect to like my potential self, my old self, and my individual self before mother to fill my cup. So I 
contact somebody and meet up with the guy, you know, the whole thing. And I keep also simultaneously says I have microdoses too. So I take the chocolate bars, I take the microdoses, put those away for like another day, was afraid of those. I did a little trip and I got my swagger back, like literally. Like mm. it felt like I reconnected with who I was at 16 simultaneously at 28. And then I was like 35 or 36 at that moment. And I was like, the swagger doesn't have to go away, but you have to continually, consciously reconnect with it at every phase in your life. So I will be that person at 89 years old with like fresh Air Force Ones hey. and a bucket hat. That's dope. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Wow. So That's I great. think, you know, LSD really connects me or not LSD, psychedelics really connect me to this higher self. And on this, on this plane, it, you know, might look like confidence or swagger, but it's really this deep knowingness on an ancestral DNA level that I can be whoever I want to be at any moment in time and reinvent myself. That's why my whole brand and my whole message to the world is rebellious reinvention and, and the interpret of that interpretation of that for whoever you are, whatever that, that looks like. Thank you for sharing all Thanks. that. Thanks. Yeah, that's dope. It was a little, a little rant, but. No, it's so funny because I feel like when I'm ever in a rut myself and I'm not feeling aligned with my highest self, I'll do a small dose of mushrooms, probably 0.5 to 1 gram. And the medicine really does an incredible job of reminding me who the fuck I am mm -hmm. and showing me like, oh, yeah. Like, I am that dude with that swag, with those unique gifts, with that unique voice, with that mission that needs to be shared with the mm -hmm. world. And it automatically reprograms. Automatic. The subconscious. And it, like, gets me on the right path. And it sounds like it does something similar for you. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, this transition when you became a mom and some of the swag that you previously had embodied dissolved a little bit or you got a little disconnected from that. Why do you think so many moms do struggle with postpartum depression? I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I think. I think, you know, I went in, there's like a six week checkup and you go in and you fill out this checklist that every doctor, and I, I did it with a midwife. I birthed naturally. It was a 24 hour labor it's filmed. Jared Leto filmed it. That's a story for another day. It's on. It's he filmed it for Thirty Second Tomorrow's music video. It's super dope. I mean, like this much of his music video, me birthing, labor naturally. So, but at the six week appointment, no matter whether you have a midwife or you birth in a hospital, they make you fill out this this form, and it's just making sure that you don't have any sort of conditions that might lead up to postpartum depression or signify that you have it, right? I'm like, oh, no, don't have that. I'm good. I'm super mom. I mean, I was making sure that I scored so high on that test because I wanted to be a good mom. Like, I wanted to be killing it. If I were to look at, I should probably look at that test today and just, I could remember exactly how I felt then. I guarantee you I was not honest on that test. Like, who wants to admit to, at six weeks that you're like, needing help when you're like trying to be the best conscious strongest mother right so I think that a lot of women first of all don't admit where they're at it's really hard to accept help when you've been super independent especially as a woman in the society that we're up in today 
So, and then secondly, there's hormones that can affect it, obviously, and that's the more traditional. They call it like baby blues, postpartum depression, where you experience physiological symptoms based on your hormones, and that's a very real thing as well. And I think for me, it was a combination of that and more of a lifestyle change. For me, I wanted to hold on to my self-identity, who I was before, and not have anything change. And I had really unrealistic expectations about that. I was really hard on myself, just like I was hard on myself about not wanting to admit I had postpartum depression. And so I think it's the lifestyle change. It throws you into whatever career you kind of had before. Unless you get a nanny or put your child in daycare full time, your life has changed Mm. 180 degrees. Unless you have a, a place to go back to, there's no space that is any longer yours. And I have an amazing, conscious, supportive partner. The default the child still comes to you as the mom. Mm. And so the remnant of what your life used to look like, it's just shattered. It's just shattered. And so I think to me, postpartum depression is not the first six weeks. It's not the first eight weeks. It's not the first three months. For me, it lasted more than three years because it's almost like it was a trauma that inflicted. And then I had this PTSD, postpartum depression almost. And it just stayed there and it was like a cloud that thickened and thinned and it thickened and thinned it just kind of never went away until the psychedelics came back around and microdosing was introduced yeah which i was which i can go into yeah let's talk about it because i think more and more people are waking up to the fact that antidepressants are not the answer Mm -hmm. right these things have been proven to disrupt our gut microbiome, mm-hmm. which is where we produce. Which I was already a health coach at this point in time. Yeah. I was all about like biohacking and gut microbiome. And I was like, okay, that's probably not the answer. Yeah. So, so like <clears throat> going back, I mean, people are waking up to the fact that antidepressants are not the answer. These compounds actually disturb and disrupt our gut microbiome, which is where we produce 90% of our serotonin. And... Now there's this new wave happening and that new wave is microdosing for mothers, mm-hmm. especially moms who are struggling with postpartum depression. And I think like you mentioned, it sounds like a lot of that postpartum depression has become so uh, from a place of like losing part of your identity mm-hmm. because now so much of your identity is attached to being a mom and it's like you forget to put yourself first mm-hmm. and you forget to fill up your own cup. And and there's some people that are conscious about really taking care. It's it's fewer. I think I was like in there's like a top 10 per, or not top, but there's like 10 percent of people who go in there and are like, I'm going to like really put myself first. But it's the ways in which you put yourself first that you aren't even aware of. Right. So like I could say I'm going to put myself first with my friends with my date nights, I was doing all the things, but it's impossible when you're regulating somebody else's nervous system to not regulate your own first. And that's where I was lacking Mm -hmm. in the, in the self-care and the quiet moments, the inside job part, I was checking off all the other boxes. I was going out to dinners. I was, you know, getting play dates or like getting dates with my fiance I had babysitters, I had support. It looked like it from the surface. I was doing all the right things. It was the inside job. It was the meditating. It was regulating my nervous system. It was the tapping. It was the affirmations. It was Mm. yoga. 
Like that's the real, real, like, are you really doing that? And yes, that might be a 5am job. Mm. You know, that might be 8pm saving yourself that much energy and your partner putting the kid to bed. Cause that's like the most exhausting thing. Yeah. Like, and that shit takes a while to get there because when they're newborns and they're infants, like it takes a while to get to a place where you can hand that off to someone else. Yeah, yes. so it's like losing identity and not filling your cup, but it's so nuanced and what everybody's needs are different, but it's really regulating your nervous system because you'll never not have to regulate someone else's nervous system for at least 12 more years. Yeah. It's a long time. It's, it's so interesting too to think about that because I'm reading a lot now about how a lot of our traumas and emotional wounds actually come from our time in the womb in mm-hmm. that environment. So if the pregnant mother is in a constantly stressed state and there might be a lot of chaos, anger in the household, mm-hmm. that influences the baby. And yeah. that's so crazy to think about too. And there's other cultures that if there's an angry person, an angry man, angry woman, they're not allowed to get in the same environment Environment. as as a pregnant mother because they don't want those energies and frequencies to impact the newborn and it's just interesting to think about like how moms not taking care of themselves because they feel obligated to pour into their child which makes sense but by being in that stress state Mm -hmm. where you're on fight or flight you're actually impacting your little infant without even knowing it right and their stress response Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know, like, did you notice any difference in your daughter? Like after you started to really prioritize your self-care? Well, kids are going to do whatever you do. Like we learn that in all the, like the books we read. It's like, you can't say to a child, do as I say, not as I do. That's like impossible for their little minds to, to contemplate. They're not emotionally mature enough to separate what they see done and then not replicate it. It's, it's impossible. And I didn't really start to notice that until I would say really the last three years, microdosing, and we'll get to the story of microdosing, but like while being on microdosing, I could witness my own thoughts, I could witness my own actions, right? I could be the observer. And then I could also witness my daughters from a different perspective. Instead of frustrated mom, I could witness, ooh, mom doing child doing of course she's doing it because I'm doing it right Mm -hmm. and so as soon as you start to realize like if you want your kid to do something a behavior whatever it is you have to also be doing it you cannot there are certain things you can get them to do but like if you don't eat healthy and you're doing that in front of them they're gonna eat whatever you eat yeah if you're saying like get off the couch stop watching too much tv they see you sitting on a couch watching tv permission slip to them they're little mirrors they're instant they're instant and so I immediately began seeing that as soon as I shifted and kids are resilient they're like a little mycelium network on mushrooms yeah whatever you want to do it's like fresh powder you want to create a new track let's go they say yeah it's awesome like you can just reprogram to do anything I mean they have their own personalities and likes and dislikes but like we're all the time having conversations of like these habits got to change okay babe well it has to start with us and like then let's got on get a new track with her yeah it takes a few weeks and we do it we're constantly evolving in our home I love that how old is your daughter now she's five yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's some patterns there that I see, like I help create and I don't love and they're going to take longer. She's five now to like smooth out, but she's still resilient. She's only five. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How do you manage any feelings of mom guilt that come to the surface? Feelings that you're not doing a good enough job for your daughter. How does that show up in your life? So I think the practice of, and the philosophies and the practice of yoga really helps put me light years ahead of traditional mom guilt because I really kind of took a conscious approach to that of like, listen, I'm going to break chains and lineage and like all the, all the sayings, right? Like we're going to change the trajectory of our lineage. Yet simultaneously, I believe that you can only change the trajectory so much in one lifetime, Mm. right? And that's not to say you're limited by how much, but there's degrees to this, right? Mm. And so instead of saying like, we're going to create a 180 in this lifetime, I just know that I'm going to leave my daughter better off than where I was. And she'll do the same for hers. And hopefully that just continues to be passed down, right? Yeah. And so... That's the big picture. And then there's mom guilt on a micro level. There's like, you're trying to get ready for a podcast interview <laughs> and your daughter's got to watch TV. And she's like, mom, I wish I would, you would sit with me and like thinking about the TV and like she's watching an hour of TV, like, oh, that's shitty. But like also knowing like my purpose and impact in the world. And also she's watching a conscious show. And so what show? Bluey. I don't it's this know. cute little Australian show. Okay. I mean, it's like fairly conscious. Um, it's not like Avatar for children, but like it's cute, has good values. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm pretty good at analyzing my thoughts and like nipping in the, in the bud when it comes to that. Just being like, you know what? You're only going to change the trajectory so far in your lifetime. That's big picture thinking. Now is a moment where you can rely on the tools and support around you. And this is where you're at. And every day you can make different choices. Every day we can make different choices. And so when it comes to mom guilt, I really try to have a conscious relationship of recognizing when I'm in it and how it can spin it. Like yeah. good PR to my mind. A little a little compassion goes a long way. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing is like empathy and compassion. Yeah. Towards self and towards your children. If you're in a connected relationship with your children, yeah. you know exactly what they need. And you also know when they have resilience. Yeah. And you can say, you got this for 20 minutes. Mom there, needs space. There's like so many things that you've touched on in the last... And you're writing. I'm like, Five to happening? 10 minutes. I was literally <laughs> just like so much shit was marinating in my mind. And I was like, I was going to take notes on my phone, which I hate doing. And I was like, where's my pen at? But um, no, what you mentioned about like just parenting by embodying what you want your child to follow. So if you want your child to be kind and compassionate, embody those things. Give mm -hmm. that kindness and compassion to yourself first. If you want your mm -hmm. child to exercise and move their bodies, be the example. Mm -hmm. Go for a run together. Have them watch you lifting weights or doing yoga. Even and push them in a damn stroller yeah. and they'll see their parents are active and move their body. Like you just have to do it around them. Do it in front of them. Let them be a witness. And then, like, that's cool. Because they think we're cool still. Facts. Right now, they think we're super cool. They want to be us. At, like, under the age of, like, eight. 
Yeah. You're the cool one. It's crazy too. Like it makes me actually really sad and upset to just see how many children are suffering with obesity, type two diabetes and all of these autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. And when I see them and their parents, whether it's like just outside walking or at a grocery store or whatever it is, it's so clear to me that they're just following in their parents' footsteps. And, you know, mm -hmm. their parents are eating a bunch of processed stuff. They're not moving their bodies. They're probably working a job that they don't like. Mm -hmm. And their kids are literally following and doing the exact same thing subconsciously. They're not aware. And it's unfortunate. And it's like, I don't want to place blame on parents, but at some point you have to take accountability for your life and like, really understand that you're responsible for another human being. Radical responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Like straight up. And, and when I think about just the way that my dad and my mom raised me, you know, my dad was a doctor and he was the hardest working guy I've ever met. And my dad would oftentimes leave to work before I'd even wake up and he would get back so discipline work. was built into your subconscious. Well, yeah, and he, he got back <clears throat> from work oftentimes 6, 7, 8 p.m. Like maybe like we bedtime. had time to eat dinner and like connect for 30 minutes, play some Scrabble, Monopoly, whatever it was. So technically I didn't have a ton of time with my dad, but, but he was always hyper-present when we did spend time together. And I was just literally watching him, like observing him. My dad would just... I remember hearing my dad like prepare for talks and speeches like in the shower. And I remember just him doing like notes for his patients at home and like just going above and beyond in all areas of life. And subconsciously as a kid, I see that and I get ingrained with that same DNA. And I feel like it's a huge reason why I have the work ethic that I do now is because I literally just watched him. He never told me like work harder or like study more. It was mm -hmm. literally just leading by example. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're going to, it's, you know, we talk about manifesting all the time in the spiritual world or like manifest and be, be, do, have versus have, do, be, right? So yeah. be the millionaire mindset. It's generally what it's talked about in like the manifestation coaching space, entrepreneur space is like, you know, act like a millionaire, and then when you reach the place where all the leads are coming in, you can behave like a millionaire, right? And it goes the same for children. Children were, were literally creating their resonance. Like they, they can't function without our regulation well. They need our regulation. Ours is in the, the parents, whoever the parents are. In fact, the, the <clears throat> there's a study that shows that the amygdala of the core parent, I don't think it's called the core parent, but the single default parent is their amygdala is inflamed and flared and forever scarred that way from like a baby crying, right? Like always having to be the responder. Mm -hmm. And so like if a, if a baby cries in the mall, um, like a woman who's nursing, like from across the room, her nipples will actually leak. Like, did you know that's a real thing? No. Yeah. And it's because of this physiological response via the amygdala that, like, we hear a child cry and we, we like, you know, oh, my God, I got to, like, react. 
And so even if a male parent is the core parent, they have the same amygdala response where they can hear a child cry and they, they'll, they'll have a physiological response. So that's how interconnected we are. Mm-hmm. And that scarring or inflammation, whatever it is, shaping is there for the rest of their life. It only decreases slightly and it can forever be triggered by any sort of harm happening to a child or, or a child crying nearby. Wow. And so that's the kind of creation or like recognizing recognition that we need to give it is like, that's like my child still sleeps with me all the time, but I'm like, she's constantly having nightmares. She goes to bed after 10 minutes of her, like trying to fall asleep. She starts telling me about what she's afraid of. I don't want to be there to not hear that. Mm. Last night she's like, I'm afraid of something, but I don't want to tell you this is 15 minutes after we've been laying in the bed in the dark. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I'm really afraid of dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. Dino- why? Dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Oh. I'm like, why? Why are, we, why are we afraid of dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. And she's like, I don't know. Every time I close my eyes, I was just thinking about them chasing me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but they died a really long time ago. And she was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, is that all, is that all you needed to remind it of? She's like, yeah, but aren't they like still there? Because like when things die, there are guides and our angels. And I was like, yeah, imagine the dinosaurs are angel guides now that are like, rawr, to like anything bad in your life. She's like, oh, that's a good thought. She went back to sleep. Oh my God. But like, I don't want to not be there to like help her regulate those thoughts, right? Yeah. Like, I'm teaching her how to switch. Like, that's a ruminating thought for her, afraid of the dark every single night. Yeah. She's afraid of the dark. And most kids are at the age of between four and five. It's a something that happens to them in in this transition where they become really afraid of the unknown. They're starting Mm. to wake up Mm. and become more, less palatable and more aware of danger around them. And so I want to be there to make sure that I'm helping teach her. And she used to have this super anxiety last year, Mm. anxiety about all sorts of things. And so I want to make sure that I'm there. That's different than mom guilt. Yeah. That's heightened awareness and with education of where she's at in her transitions and leaps psychologically. I also, it's, it's very interesting to me. So I'm very grateful that my family was in a place where my mom didn't have to work anymore and she could fully dedicate her life to being a full-time mom. And I think people oftentimes forget the fact that being a mom is a full-time job Mm -hmm. and there's guilt around that. Yeah. Right. Because now our society is all about like, do more, be productive, like women's empowerment. You can be just as successful as men. Yes, that Mm -hmm. is all good. That's all true. However, let's not forget the importance of just being a present parent, being a nurturing mom, because I know I would not be the man today that I am if my mom was out working 12 hours a day and I was with a babysitter all day and like I saw her for a couple hours, like I don't even know where I'd be. Mm -hmm. But that nurturing throughout my childhood really just gave me the confidence and the love and support that I needed to flourish. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a, it's a, it's like this kind of tricky area because there's a lot of moms that I work with in the microdosing mastermind. And a lot of them are so dedicated as moms, which is absolutely beautiful. And in that process, they've neglected their self-love, they've neglected their self-care, and they've been disconnected from those things that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And they lack that sense of purpose. (coughs) 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that fine line, mm -hmm. being a dedicated mom, but also like keeping your dreams right there. So that, you're still that's the conversation right there. It's the nuance in. <clears throat> It's the nuance and it's, it's, there's no such thing as balance. You know, women have been sold for the last at least 15 years that I'm aware of, but probably since the feminism movement, that we get to have it all. Oprah said it, that means I can have it. Like we're a generation, millennials and like anywhere, probably after, <coughs> has been told that we get to have it all. And I think that's a beautiful statement. And then when I became a mom, I was pretty fucking shocked that that wasn't true. Because what I really learned was we get to have it all. We don't get to have it all at once, not all the time. Mm. Not all the time. And that doesn't, that's not a limiting statement. That's not to say that you can't dream to have it all and that at one point in your life you won't look and say, wow, I have it all. It doesn't mean I don't experience the feeling of having it all. Sometimes I do. <clears throat> yeah. Simultaneously, I've had to really dial back, not on my desires, but on and be more compassionate. It's really not dialing back. It's really being more compassionate towards myself at where I'm at versus my expectations. Because those expectations of where I'm supposed to be are ego-driven anyways. Mm. <coughs> Sorry, Have I'm some water. getting over a cold. Are you getting over a cold? Actually, you know it's good for that, right? Mushrooms. Yes. I have been taking all the mushrooms, the medicinal ones and the little. Take your time. You're good. All right, fam. I am sorry to interrupt the show one more time, but you already know I don't have sponsors for this podcast. Really, I use this platform to just provide free value for you. That is my mission at Thrive University is just to provide you the education that we never experienced in our childhood. So I created a nutrition program that literally breaks down all of the necessary principles to optimize your gut health and your brain health through nutrition. And this course used to be $297, but I wanted to make it massively affordable and accessible for everyone. So it's now $29 for lifetime access to some of the best content I've ever created regarding nutrition. So if you're ready to take your life, your health to the next level, make sure to visit the link in the show notes to take advantage of that amazing opportunity. So what I discovered is that I actually now have more career guilt versus mom guilt. Mm. And I don't want to actually call it guilt. I think it started out as guilt and that led me to be aware of like, you know what? The season of the of life that I'm in and that my daughter is in, she really needs me more. Mm. And what is the priority? Like we're just in seasons of life like all the time. We look at our dreams and desires as like some hill we're climbing. And like when we get to this like special mountaintop, we will have experienced success and then it is just peak after peak from there and life is just rising but we know healing is not linear career is not linear success is not linear so I don't know why we have this delusion that's like a straight line up a hill it's not like that so neither is becoming a parent it's 
having a parent and a career, right? Like that is not going to be linear. Every woman and every parent, because the men experience this too. There's going to be times in your life where your career is blowing up. And that is the time when your child needs you the most. Guess what? Why? Because her her nervous system is dysregulated because you are off the fucking charts with your energy. Mm. That's what's happening in our home. My daughter keeps getting sick. Gabe has opened. My fiance has opened. He will have opened 14 restaurants now and bars. And six of them in the last 90 days. Are they all in Miami, by the way? New York, Miami, Chicago, LA. Damn. <clears throat> so right what now it's between... the ones here? Just so Broken we know. Shaker. Broken Shaker. Yeah, 27 oh. Restaurant, Arlo, the like Marigold at the Arlo. Um, I feel like Gabe and I need to be boys. Margot, Natural Wine. They're all about farm to table, natural wine and stuff. But um, yeah, so my daughter keeps getting sick because our energy's fucking crazy. I got a concussion a few months ago. I'm trying to heal. How can I support her growth? And so what I found is like, you can't have it all, not all at once, not all the time. Mm. Just recognize the season of life you're in and give your child the best that you fucking can at all times. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I called it think like a musician on one of my last podcasts. I'm, now I'm thinking it's like, think like a farmer, <laughs> like think like a farmer, right? What, what are the seasons they're in? And also like they come home and they nourish their families with the best food from their farm, right? They make the milk, they churn their butter. Like mm. I make butter at home. Like we go to the farmer's market. We prepare our food like that. Like really like, yes, there's hard work during the day, but how can we be in our homes really nurturing the inner workings of that system yeah it's like farmer bigby over here i, lo- I love my that overalls though. on no it's so i true. really am craving the mountains like to be honest like i just want to like run away and like podcast from the mountains like that's like it's one of my it. dreams we can right now. a retreat in the mountains let's do it i I'd had a vision lit, for actually. it, it I'd be lit. lit. yeah no it's so true though and i'm still learning that life is all about the different seasons mm-hmm. and when you're having that momentum with business, with entrepreneurship, like put your foot on the gas and take advantage of the momentum and and in that process, understand your business is only gonna go as far as your health allows it to, mm-hmm. right? And I think when you understand that, you'll start to pour into yourself more just like optimizing your energy, your focus, your hormones, so you can produce in all areas of life in the most potent and powerful way. and. You mentioned something earlier. You mentioned the word feminism. And as a woman, I'd love to just hear... I'm a feminist. Right. So, But also, the feminism movement is like, it's really fucked up. Let's talk about this, because I think a lot of feminists refer to things like birth control as like this all-encompassing, empowering thing that Mm -hmm. gives women the ability to conceive or not conceive based on their desires and just other things like that um in regards to the feminist movement that i think are just misguided anything that's ever a hundred percent when they say this is a truism not not this is a truism there's amazing philosophy that's truism but like i think when when society or media specifically tells us this is the truth and this is the only way you should question it. Yeah. 100%. I've had says question everything. 
That was the hat, the bucket hat. I should oh, worn today. question dope. everything. No, no, no. So I think that when media and propaganda says, I won't get into like, you know, I went to Planned Parenthood for years. I'm so grateful for Planned Parenthood when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And I, ha- and I got an abortion and that's what I chose. I- I'm forever grateful that that was an option to me in the place I was at in my life and that I went there for birth control at that point in my life. Like, and I got condoms, like all the things. And I got education there as well. Really grateful for that mm. business. And simultaneously, the propaganda and the political alignment that comes with that, that says this is feminism, can't be not questioned. Because it's not all feminism. It's not all for the good of humanity. No. And that education should extend a lot earlier than when children are or people are 18, 19, 20 plus having to make those decisions. For sure. Had I had more conversations with more nuance about sex and sex, I've grew up in a really religious home. That's also a different story, why I wasn't educated in having conversations like this with my, my family. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't think birth control and putting chemicals in your body to change your hormone is, is good for you. Yeah. I think it's a personal choice. I think it's really important for some people not to get pregnant. And I think that's empowering, but I don't think it's good for you long-term. Yeah. And you know, and I think selling people that it's a hundred percent safe is a farce. It's well, a it's lie. Cr- it's crazy too. And I'm sure you've dove deep into this type of work, but like when I found out that women were only fertile five to six days out of the month, it's a fucking miracle. We get pregnant. And you can actually be very methodical and intentional and mm-hmm. actually track when those days are. There's lots of tools out there. Mm-hmm. And that is I really that is what I think we should really be like teaching teenage girls, women, so they understand their bodies more. Mm-hmm. There's not shame mm-hmm. regarding these different changes hormonally. Exactly. And you really become empowered because now you're more conscious and aware of like, okay, these are the days you know, when I'm going to be cycling, this is the few days leading up to it. This is how I'm supposed to be feeling, right? These are different changes and shifts that are going to happen energetically. Because if we did that, we would actually not have people going, oh no, now I need to freeze my eggs and now I need to do hormone replacement and now I need to do hormone therapy. I mean, we wouldn't have people not knowing anything about their cycles until they're 30 something years old and have to go to doctors to rely on that. We'd have people in a relationship with their bodies, physiologically, intuitively, spiritually, emotionally, way sooner. When were you kind of made aware of the health ramifications of birth control? Like when did you make that decision to get off of it? I never was on it continually. My ex-boyfriend's parents put me on it at 15. My ex-boyfriend's father, my boyfriend at the time, we were 16 years old and we were having a lot of sex and they could hear it because we were doing it at their house. And so he, and he was in politics and he was like, you're not getting my son pregnant. Let's go to Planned Parenthood. And so he brought me to Planned Parenthood because you, I think still probably, as long as you have an adult with you and a signature, you can get it. At 16 years old or a certain age, it was pretty crazy. So I got it then, but right away I noticed the 
reaction that it had emotionally and I had anxiety and I was crying and it was really imbalanced and I started acting like really jealous and I had never been like that ever before with in that really in any relationship and so I went off of it we just told the old guy that I was taking it still you know and so that's when I knew I was like something's up with that like I started questioning that like by this point I had already done psychedelics so I was like I was gonna say you're a pretty cool 16 year old having a bunch of sex fucking dropping acid (laughs) we were partying like it was like the 60s we thought we were living in a 60s renaissance because in Ohio everybody's parties in basements and we found all our friends dads old like record players and records who so were listening to like Janis Joplin and the doors and I we really felt like we were living in a 60s renaissance I just didn't know we would be here again right. having a psychedelic renaissance hey. which is so fucking exciting yes, yes I was wait. like prepared the seed was placed for sure wait 16. this is this is interesting too because you know I've talked to many of my friends who have gotten off birth control in the last few years and they sometimes didn't get consistent periods back mm-hmm. for a couple years. Yeah. Like that is so fucked up that this drug disturbs and disrupts your body's mm-hmm. natural hormonal cycle in that powerful of a way that you cannot have your normal periods for up to a couple years. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's mind blowing. And, and, and we're giving this just openly and freely to 15 and 16 year old girls who don't know any better. And they're they don't actually know the being question. pressured. Yeah. They're being pressured to put this I shit in their body. I was being pressured by a 45 year old man who was a judge or something. Like that was his role. Like I had no consent there. It was do this or you can't come over to my house. Yeah. That's pretty insane. To think about that much, how much power people can wield over, and to over think, children. And to think, like, also the chain reaction that taking birth control can have, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's disrupt, disrupting your hormones in such a significant way, then you're feeling a little down. You're feeling emotionally depressed. Mm-hmm. So then you what get put next? on an antidepressant. Yeah. And now you're putting all of these chemicals in your body that are disturbing your hormones, your gut microbiome, and all at the ripe age of 17, 18, 19, when your body and brain is still developing Mm -hmm. and you're becoming so disconnected from your true essence. And that just makes me fucking furious. It's like, we need to teach our people, we need to teach our, our women and men this stuff because once you're empowered with this information of how to like understand your body and its natural cycles and rhythms, you become intentional and you become more connected Mm -hmm. to that divinity within. It's like now I know what I need to nourish myself and now I know what I don't need to put in my body. Mm -hmm. And it's those fucking vicious chemicals, man. It it really upsets me. I've also been getting learning more about herbs we've always been really into herbs Gabe is really Gabe is like he's been reading like Sedona magazine and calling channelers since like the late 90s like this guy has been forever awakened like you guys have known each other that long no oh, but yeah. like but he's just yeah. like this I don't How know Gabe? he's 40 he's seven years older than me so he's like 45, 45. Yeah. yeah he um 
he's like into herbs and like he's always been doing adaptogens and mushrooms and he brought a lot of more subtle things into my life I'm like yoga and I like became obsessed with yoga and wellness and he was like like why don't you stop drinking alcohol and cigarettes and like try some herbs and like drink some water and so he's he's more subtle and lifestyle change this guy's always been like awakened so he's super spiritual as well and um so we've been into herbs at our house for a long time we have like over probably 50 different herbs in our medicine closet at all times. And usually we just dump everything in a tea, like all the things we need for that moment. But I'm getting into more nuanced ways of using herbs. And you can actually use herbs for birth control in a lot of ways. You can use herbs to induce an an abortion if you want, like at a certain point, like not recklessly. But there's so many other things that we can use besides pharmaceuticals and even essential oils. I use essential oils, love essential oils, but they disconnect us from the plant. Mm. Whereas using a dried herbs reminds you and connects you to the plant. You learn its origins. You can go out and pick that. Mm. Right. And so when we're like, here's a blend for that an oil for that, as much as I think that's great, it, we don't know how that impacts the endocrine system completely. There's not a lot of long-term studies of that amount and use we're using in essential oils, mm. but really getting in touch with, like, so even that, it seems so natural. And even supplements, they seem so natural. We're disconnecting ourselves through marketing and conscious capitalism from the plants themselves. Yeah. that have so much power that we used to know and pass down from generation to generation. Yeah. I'm Native American, so this is that's really important to me just to like reclaim back this knowledge. That's why I'm like think like a farmer. Like I just want to like go churn butter and like play with herbs. I gotta try some of this homemade in my butter. bucket hat. It's really easy to make. I can teach you. Really? You just need a marble and a jar. A marble and a jar. And, and whole cream from oh. like local. We'll get like local yeah, cream yeah. from like a farmer. Yeah, we need to exchange some info. You sound yeah. like, You seem to have it all figured out. I like shake my butter in a bucket hat. What part of Miami do you live in again? We live in Miami Shores. Okay, got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, there was something else that you mentioned that I want to touch on, and that is the fact whenever I see a young child or infant, it always reminds me of the power of psilocybin and mushrooms because this medicine has allowed me personally to reactivate parts of my inner child Mm -hmm. that I had neglected for years. Yeah. And when you look at a child, two, three, four years old, you see they literally have no fears. When they're learning to walk, they fall down a bunch. They get right back up. Mm -hmm. They're not worried about who saw them fall. They're not worried about, oh shit, I failed. I'm scared to try again. No, they just get their ass back up and go. Mm -hmm. And... They're smiling. They're curious. And I think this medicine is so powerful in reconnecting us to that inner child, that childlike curiosity and wonder and joy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder like how that's manifested for you in that parenting process. Like, Have you found any similar experiences in your journey? Yeah, well, and this leads me to my microdosing story, how this became such an important topic in my life and how it led me to doing doing microdosing integration with my clients. Because, so rewind to that few years ago when I decided I'm going to trip for my birthday and reclaim my swagger. I also 
<clears throat> this was also at a point where I reached kind of this tipping point of my depression. I was completely disconnected from my fiance, from myself, not present with my daughter. In fact, if anything, I was just stressed out around her. My anxiety was through the roof. My depression was also through the roof. And it was just this point in my life where I said, I said to Gabe, I said, you know what? I am sorry. I also feel really guilty about this, but I think I'm going to have to get on medication because I'm having more bad days than good. And this is like downhill from here. I've never had suicidal ideation. I've never experienced depression this deep. I wasn't experiencing suicidal ideation at that point, but I was like, this is a turning point, And I don't think I might come back from this. And like, I think need prevention at this moment. And he said, whatever you want to do. And he said, but we have all these microdoses here. He had been doing plant ceremonies as I had also done plant ceremonies before I had my child. I've done over like 140 ayahuasca and peyote ceremonies, but wow. very like shamanically. And I was learning my old traditions and connecting to my ancestors, but I wasn't integrating a lot back then right this is like 13 years ago so even though I'd done all this these psychedelics throughout my life at different points I was terrified as a mom to take microdoses because I thought that it was like gonna and this is one thing that moms always ask me and parents even fathers like can I take this around my kids or am I gonna see like unicorns and traces will I be able to drive right and so I looked at him and I said, okay, you know what? If I'm willing to try pharmaceuticals that are highly addictive, I'm willing to try the psych, which was crazy for me to be that scared, but that's how scared I was to try it. Yeah. I think I also knew the requirements of it was it wasn't going to be a pill that you could just throw in your mouth and pop. Like there's work behind it. So I said yes to the microdoses. I took them off the shelf and took one the first day. Went in my office with my to-do list. I hadn't gotten anything done in months in my business. I wasn't marketing. I was totally shut down. My clients were dwindling at that point. I was in a pivot. I didn't know what I wanted. And so I go in there with this long to-do list, and I was like, you know what? I've heard they're really good for productivity. Mm. Like, maybe this is, my, this is why I'm depressed. So I go into my office. I sit in front of my computer 35, 40 minutes in, I'm like, all right, I'm going to bang out this to-do list. I look out the window, and I was like, I live where people vacation. What am I doing inside on a laptop? Shut my laptop. I'm in sweats, like, you know, high-end loungewear. And I'm like, in, I'm like pulling my sweats up in the pool, and Gabe's like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know, but it's making me happy. Go inside, do a little work. The next day, repeat. Same thing. I'm like, all right, today's productivity. I'm going to get some shit done. Same thing. I look outside. I see my pool. I'm like, fuck this. This time I'm wearing shorts. I'm standing there in my shorts, like took 30 minutes, went back inside, got a little work done. Was not making any progress. Was not creative. Was actually really tired still. The next day, I'm like, fuck this. And I like go outside. I pull all my clothes off. I jump in the pool. I start swimming laps, butt naked. And Gabe's like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know, but I'm about to hot and cold plunge next. And he was like, I was like, I think I'm going to be retired for the next three months, I was like, fuck my business. And I literally took no more clients that summer. I microdosed on a 90-day protocol. I did this, um, the Fademan, or the Samet stack. And so I did five days on, two days off, which I call the page turner. It changed the chapter in my life. And 
I really reconnected with my daughter. I became so childlike. That was, I rejoined the standard membership. I, I just, I felt connected to who I was. I got my swagger back, but not only that, I felt pleasure again. Mm -hmm. And I think for so long and during the pandemic and working so hard and grinding and hustle and not doing it in alignment with self-care and self-love for so fucking long, Mm -hmm. I was completely disconnected to joy and pleasure. Mm. simply put like children are pure joy and pure pleasure they seek nothing else they don't want to be sad they do everything in their world to please themselves my child wants to be happy she jumps all over my newly put together couch my child wants to be happy she drips chocolate milk all over her face and like shows me her like it's joy like she's not conscious of any other creation right she's like the purest form of manifestation Mm. and so that's what i did all summer long and it really changed the entire trajectory of my life i came home after that day i said i bought the the microdoses from the guy you know and i said to gabe we're gonna start a, a psychedelic line we're gonna start um a chocolate line and a microdose line and we're gonna get in on legalization and he was like that's sick because i used to sell weed a long time ago and i used to say like weed's gonna be legal one day 15 years ago, nobody believed weed was going to be legal one day, yeah. right? In Florida, at least. Maybe in California, it was already started. Yeah. So I said, I'm gonna, we're going to do it, and I want all women. I want a female grower. I want them to be in California. I want them to have capital. I want a female chocolatier. I want her to be in Florida so I can see the actual production of the chocolate because it's different. And I want them to be, like, down with the movement. And I want female branding, female marketing. Like, I said what I wanted. Within six months, people were calling me, handing me their information, All I was doing was posting mushroom memes Mm. on Instagram. And somehow the mycelium network made this all happen. And so we're working on a brand that could be certified and legalized down the line. But it all happened within the next six months. And it was all from pleasure. I didn't even work for the next six months. Yeah. And there was money coming in. Yeah. From little one-off clients, a little speaking situation I would do. Like just enough. To keep my personal business going. That's so dope. And then at the same time, Gabe and I became co-founders of a a liqueur company called Chinola, which is a passion fruit liqueur. So it's like low alcohol content. It's amazing with mezcal. And so that happened, which is going to be a huge brand. It's all, it's, it's, it's run by this amazing man who used to work for Bacardi, Robbie, and he has blown it up. It's in restaurants and bars and stores all over the country. And so it's like, we're invested. We're in a long game any? now. Who cares about fucking client money exchange of time, you know? Right. And it, so it tra- transitioned everything. I was like pleasure and investment. Mm. Time with daughter. Making butter. I don't like whatever, like making shit, you know? Right, it was right. like, okay, now, now the season that I'm in, the last six months, I got a concussion. I really, my immunity was super down Not before that already. Like my health and my habits were like kind of out of whack this last year due to a lot of different reasons. And so now this season is like, all right, you've learned pleasure. You've learned childlikeness. You've put your daughter and your, yourself and then your daughter is the priority mm. on a day-to-day basis. Now it's like relationship with your body again. It's time to, like your daughter's older now. She can watch TV or come do yoga with you. She has an option. Yeah. Before it was like she needed me so much. So now it's like this year is working with people again like really really working with a lot of people at once i love group programs so i'm opening up some group stuff and cash money 
Hey. Easy money and fun and pleasure. Like all of it snowballed into one. So like this is a year of reclamation. I love it. The yeah. year of reclamation. The year of reclamation. And more skinny dipping in the pool. Yep. That's more skinny dope. dipping in the pool. That's a vibe. It's really cool, cool too. Bunch. Like it sounds like just your partner, Gabe, has just been really there riding with you like every step of the way. He's a rock. Yeah. That's and he's dope. And he's, yet he's fluid like water. Mm. He's a scorpion, a Scorpio. Mm. So he's like all water, all emotions, but it's stillness at the top. So I can like lean on him, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't like fall apart. Yeah. He's That's really dope. Solid. Um, wow. This has been a really fun conversation. Fuck. I, I, before we wrap up, because we, we can go that. in so many directions. I know. Let's, I let's know. do a part two next time. Yes, we do. But, um, but real quick, curious because. Now, more and more women are becoming very conscious and aware of the repercussions of taking things like antidepressants, mm -hmm. even things like Tylenol while they're pregnant and mm -hmm. how that can shift the microbiome of their child mm -hmm. that they're conceiving, right? How it can potentially lead to hyperactivity in the brain and other disorders. What are your thoughts on microdosing while pregnant and while breastfeeding? So there's unfortunately not been a lot of studies done for the obvious reasons that it's, you know, a risky study for anybody to back. Um, you know, it's not just a consenting person's life. It's an innocent, non-consenting person's life in, in the hands. So there's not going to probably be a lot of studies done on it. So it's all anecdotal. Um, evidence but I do know a lot of people who do it and there's been times where I've looked at Gabe and I'm like would we give some psilocybin at this point in our life yet is it too soon like you know so it's like and she's five so like <clears throat> I think oh you're talking a, about giving your daughter yeah like I'm, oh. there's there's been times where we're like what's going on with her? Like we want to change some habit or routine or something right, that's right, going right. on. And we're like, should we? Like we haven't made that choice and I don't think we will until she's older. Yeah, yeah. We'd like her to be consenting. But I mean, there's been times where we're like, if we just put her on mushroom, she'd be amazing. Um, like she'd, she'd roll with us like a little micro, yeah, but yeah. we don't do that. So I think that when it comes to a fetus and breastfeeding babies, I think there's two things. Breastfeeding I think is a very clear safe option there's people who pump and dump right you can pump and pre-make a ton of milk there not every woman there's a lot of women who make two weeks worth of milk in several settings so they can pre-batch and this medicine only stays in your bloodstream for like 24 hours exactly it only stays in your bloodstream 24 hours so you can literally pump and jump and pump and dump the same way that you do with alcohol which is that that means you pump what's has the medicine in it, you dump that. That's an option. Then there's another, anything that's residual in there is really not impactful. And then the other option for breastfeeding is taking such a small amount that you feel comfortable with knowing what it's going to do in the child's mind. Like, we're taking it and it's beneficial for us. Right. Why would we not think it's beneficial for development of a, of a, of a child's mind? Yeah. 
I don't know. That's where I kind of, you know, I think some there's something positive about that, but I also think like we don't really know what's happening in the developing mind. So, I think I think to kind of sum it up, at least from my perspective, it's very intuitive. It's very intuitive, right? And, like, and get if, your in, educate yourself, right? Like, if you, not FDA though. Like, obviously, I'll never be a pregnant or breastfeeding woman. Um, however, if you just think of it from an intuitive perspective, it's like okay. If I'm microdosing while breastfeeding, right, I can strategically schedule around mm -hmm. my pumping, et cetera. And this is a very small natural compound that has been mm -hmm. used for hundreds of thousands of years, right? It's not a synthetic chemically laced drug like antidepressants mm -hmm. are. And we've somehow normalized it to be completely okay to be pregnant and breastfeeding and take antidepressants simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of just backing up a second. Yes, there's a lack of research. There's a lack of studies. This is by no means medical advice. Exactly. Not but it's like, advice. but it's like, let's just take a step back and actually feel <coughs> intuitively. I also think like, and be intuitive about how often you need it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. nursing your child when you're in breastfeeding is a lifestyle. You're doing every day, all day long. You don't need microdoses that often for yeah. them to be impactful. Yeah. You could literally take them once a week and feel amazing impact. Yeah. Let's, <coughs> let's wrap this up. Um, Cause I know we went over time a little bit. What is time though? Danielle, what the fuck is time? What is time? What is it? What is it? Still trying to figure it out. Um, really fucking grateful for this conversation. I'm so glad we made this happen like last minute. Um, I need some of your water. Can I pour some? Yes. Do you have a final message that you'd like to just deliver to the people after you hydrate with some high quality hydrogen water? Oh, hydrogen water is the best. Um, <clears throat> I think my core message, and this has reigned true my whole life, is question everything and be rebellious. Like, I grew up in a really religious household, and I had a dream when I was eight years old in a fever that I had a fever, really high fever. I went to sleep. I had this dream <clears throat> that we were like, you know, Men in Black, the cat, and he's wearing the universe on his neck, and inside the universe was another universe? I had that dream. And this was before Men in Black came out. And I was like, we are a dream within a dream within a dream. So how can anything I read in the Bible be real? Mm. Like the creator and there's a ruler and there's a heaven and a hell. Like this is all a creation of the mind. And so I knew at eight years old that we lived in a quantum reality. Mm. Not all of us come here knowing that. Not all of us do psychedelics at 16, right? But... <clears throat> if you can just start with questioning everything, it leads to this rebelliousness. Because when you find out the truth, the real truth, that mm. there is no fucking truth, that there is no one way, mm. it allows you to really move with intuition. It allows you to really make your own sovereign decisions, whether that's with psychedelics, microdosing, religion, your spirituality, your children, or your relationship, it really connects you to that space that is limitless and to, that's of source. Mm. So begin with questioning everything 
finding your sovereignty and that leads to a rebellion that nobody can stop hey, hey. so that's my, my that's my message rebellious reinvention well thank you danielle thank you jeremy for shining your light sharing your truth i can't wait to dive deeper and continue this conversation and until then thrive university you already know what time it is it's time to stay curious question everything and thrive baby the time is now let's get it Oh my goodness, you made it until the end of this podcast. And I'm so grateful for you just really committing to your health and to your transformation. So just take a moment to appreciate and acknowledge yourself for making it until the end. And I really hope that you take at least one thing that you heard today and implement it into your life because knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. It requires you to take action and implement these different practices and principles into your life. And I'm here to support you every step of the way. So again, word of mouth is my oxygen. I don't do this for money. I just do it to cultivate community and help you enrich your life. So if you gain value from the show, share it with a friend, share it on your Instagram story, tag me at coach Jeremy 305. And if you want to see the video version of this episode, go check out our YouTube channel. Because again, when you see things, sometimes it brings them to life and you can really see different parts of this conversation and the relationship dynamic with each guest. So again, fam, thank you. Thank you so much. You already know what time it is. It's time to take action on your dreams and thrive.